0: You're listening to Sam Returns. I'm Regina Beach. This is a show about stories with a clear before and after. Today we're talking to Sam Yusko, recent high school graduate and Cleveland native, about his time in bushcraft school. Sam, will you introduce yourself?
1: Hi, my name is Sam Yusko, and I'm a student here at Jack Mountain Bushcraft School for the next, like, I don't know, like 16 hours or so.
0: How did you come across Jack Mountain? What made you want to do this?
1: So I decided after high school that I really did not want to go sign away the next four years of my life to college right away. So I decided I wanted to take a gap year, which has gotten very mixed responses, actually. All the adults I've talked to all go on about how it's such a great thing and a great experience, and all of the kids I talk to are horrified that I'm never going to get accepted into school after this. So, I was trying to find something to do in the fall, because in the spring I'm hoping to hike the Appalachian Trail partway. So, uh, my parents actually found this school, like, uh, it was called, I think, Anake Outdoor School in Washington State. And we thought it looked interesting, but I didn't want to go all the way to Washington. So we tried to find one that was closer to home, so we looked up and we found Jack Mountain. And I liked the look of the curriculum and stuff. I was slightly intimidated by the teacher until I met him. And it just looked like fun. So I decided, why not? Just on an impulse, I did it.
0: So our teacher is Tim. Can you describe him and some of the things that you like best about him and some of the things he's taught you?
1: So I, I think that the biggest thing that I... I think I remember my first real impression of Tim being when I saw the video... Oh, of the tour of jack mountain and i just remember that there was some scene where he was demonstrating the pumps and he was pumping water into a water bottle and he was talking about how this water is exactly 42 degrees year round it took a sudden you just completely just deadpan like the just went delicious and I got so intimidated because I thought, oh my God, this guy is going to be so serious about everything. He's like, just everything's going to be so intense. And then I got here and like, and Tim and the other instructors started acting out, th- they just acted out a whole commercial for some piece of equipment, the Combar Pro. And I realized, okay, this is actually going to be fun.
0: Tell me about the Combar Pro and what they're making fun <sighs> of.
1: The Combar Pro is just some random outdoor tool that just came on the market that they liked laughing, that the instructors like laughing about here because they view it as being just totally unnecessary.
0: What kind of tools do you use on a daily basis at Jack Mountain and what have you learned about them?
1: I pretty much use an axe and a knife. And matches, and that's really all that you actually need for bushcraft, is just axe, knife, and matches And if you're good, you don't even, if you're good like Xander, who's sitting right next to me You don't even need the matches, you can just light a bow drill fire So, those are the things I've used, um, I've learned definitely a lot about them It's, using an axe in particular is not something you use in your
0: normal day-to-day life can you describe your childhood experiences with nature and what brought you to outdoor school?
1: Uh, okay, well, my parents, um, ever since we were kids, my parents definitely tried to encourage us <clears throat> to kind of be fans of traveling and adventure and stuff. Every year, we always went on at least one vacation somewhere. Um I really didn 't get too big into it until like my dad started taking me and my older sister out on these backpacking trips to Raccoon Creek State Park. I think the entirety of the trip lasted <coughs> of just we would hike about one mile to the shelter where they had a pump with running water and everything. We would spend about a night there and then we would go home. but it got me
0: interested in back- <coughs> got me interested in backpacking uh, apparently i 'm dying of a cold now. Um, you were in the Boy Scouts and you earned the rank of Eagle Scout. Can you talk a little bit about what you learned there in your leadership?
1: Uh, I learned that I hate being a leader. That's definitely one big thing I learned. Um, but (laughs) it was a, it was definitely a great experience in the Boy Scouts. I was in the, I actually, I didn't join. I would love to say that I joined the Boy Scouts because I felt some great deal of like, honor i want or i wanted to like commit to my community but the thing is i think like when i was in kindergarten my parents found out that some like some of my friends were joining the cub scouts they said hey sam do you want to join cub scouts they get to shoot bows and arrows and bb guns and i was like yeah (laughs) and so i got roped in and then after a few years all my friends quit and i was all alone (laughs) so not not the most auspicious start but I definitely enjoyed it. I definitely enjoyed all the camping we did, all the things I learned, and I i may, I learned that I don't like leadership, but I did learn how to do it, so that's a good thing.
0: What was your camp counselor experience like this past <laughs> summer before Bushcraft School?
1: Oh, God, I'm getting PTSD just thinking about this. So I got... So I work as a camp counselor for the Boy Scouts sometimes, and... <laughs> <laughs> last summer, I got suckered in to working this new thing they were trying, Adventure Camp, where we traveled around. Um, And, oh my god, there were about, um, there were about three, no, there were four camp counselors working with about an average of 60 to 70 kids a week. So we were all horribly overworked, um, and underpaid, of course, (coughs) Um, but, and but it's really, the thing is, it's one of those things where while you're doing it, you think to yourself, my god, this is horrible, I'm never doing this again, why am I doing this to myself? And then as soon as it's done, you think, oh, is that over already? I want to go do it again next year! Do you have a favorite activity that you did with the kids? Well, so we had, like, so I was- technically I was the outdoor skills counselor. However, because we only had four people, it meant that we all pretty much wound up working every job at some point. So I think my favorite one was when I ran the literacy station and I had to read the kids Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone. Uh, I didn't- I'll be honest, I never even liked that book that much. And reading chapter one of that book 50 times in a row definitely did not improve my liking of it at all. But it was it was a really fun experience to just read it, and it was very rewarding, actually. I think my favorite memory of the camp was when, at some point, one of the parents was dropping their kid off one day, and they just spontaneously turned to my boss and asked, out of curiosity, who was reading yesterday? And they were like, Sam? And I was like, yeah, why? And they were like, i was just going to say, my husband came home yesterday, and he just said he doesn't even like reading that much, and he just said that he was just enamored, and he was just completely engrossed. And so I was like, yes, vindication!
0: <laughs> so you like reading a lot. Can you talk a little bit about the library that we're actually sitting in right now and some of the books you've read over the course of the past nine weeks?
1: Uh, well, yeah, there's a lot of books in here about a lot of bushcraft subjects. We've got stuff on plants and weather, navigation, permaculture, and I've maybe read, like, three of them. But I think I I read a lot of this one, The Stars. I read a lot of that. I never even really thought too much about the constellations before I came here, but now I think they're awesome and I want to learn more about them. Um... There's a lot of, yeah, there's a lot of stuff. There's this, there's this massive shelf of like the knowledge stuff. And then there's this tiny little shelf in the other, in the opposite corner with the entertainment stuff. And I feel kind of bad because I've read more of the stuff off the tiny shelf than the big one.
0: (laughs) What did you read off the tiny shelf?
1: (laughs) I don't even remember. I would just grab, I would just be bored and I would just grab a random book and say, just why not? I'm going to read it.
0: You were my partner for the night that we spent outside with no sleeping bag in front of an open fire. We called ourselves Camp Cleveland. Camp Cleveland! Can you describe that night, what we did, how it went? Longest night
1: of my life. Oh my god. It was just, we, we we basically built quad pods with little which were just four poles with a little tarp stretched over the top of it to try and hold in the heat. And then we just built a giant fire right next to them. And we just tried to keep it burning all night long. So it was basically, so it was just, you would lie there on your little mat made out of grass that was super lumpy and uncomfortable. You would just lie there. And you would pretend like you were sleeping. You weren't actually sleeping, your eyes are just kind of closed. But you pretended, because you wanted to at least imagine you were getting rest. And then spontaneously you would realize that you were slowly freezing to death. You would wake up, you would throw another log on the fire, and then you would close your eyes again and pretend like you were somewhere much warmer. I remember the day after it, I the second the sun rose and we had passed, I just got up, went to my sleeping bag, fell asleep, and did not wake up again until the next night.
0: Yeah, I remember getting up around like seven or eight and being like, oh, well, Sam's gone, his tarp's gone, he's like, out of here.
1: Yeah, I, I, I made it to the bare minimum of the time, and then I just ditched it.
0: But we did survive the night.
1: We did survive, albeit barely.
0: What was your favorite craft that we made over the past nine weeks?
1: I greatly enjoyed working on my canoe paddle. Uh, The canoe paddles were just super fun to make, probably also because it was a much longer, more involved process than anything else we wound up working on. And that gave it a lot more of a personal feel. My paddle is admittedly kind of garbage, but (laughs) I love it anyways. It's named...
0: We call them humble paddles.
1: Yeah, they're, they're humble paddles. We don't want to offend the gods of paddle making, or else they'll tip our canoes over.
0: So we make imperfect crafts here.
1: That's right. The crafts have to be imperfect or the gods will punish you. Galactagon will come down from the heavens above and he will make you suffer. But yeah.
0: Can you talk about the process? Well, what did you have to do to make the canoe paddle?
1: Well, basically, you just, well, so you just start with a giant, long piece of wood. We used pine wood because it's nice and soft, even though the book specifically says that it's not good paddle wood. But we start with that. You draw a little outline of what you want your paddle to look like, and then you start with your draw knife, and you just cut out the outline. Then you use your, then you go to your spoke shave. <coughs> I'm dying again. You go to your spoke shave. And you smooth all the edges out, you make it all nice, and then you go, use your farrier's wrath to just finish it off.
0: Can you describe what those three tools are and, and what they do? Because I know I never used any of them before I came here.
1: Yeah, the draw knife is just pretty much, its just a knife blade wedged between two sticks that you just pull. The spokeshave is a razor blade wedged into another piece of metal that you pull. And the farrier's rasp is a piece of metal with lots of tinier, pointier pieces of metal sticking off of it that you both push and pull
0: a good description um what was your experience eating at bushcraft school how did that evolve over the time you were here well i started
1: off with elbow noodles salt and ramen because i didn't have any faith in my ability to do anything other than boil a pot of water over a campfire but then we started doing group dinners where we would just all cook as a team and so I got a lot of help from the other people who knew a lot more about cooking than I did. And so that kind of gave me some confidence to try out different ideas, m- most of which admittedly kind of failed, but it was a good experience. It was learning.
0: What kinds of things did we make as a group? What kinds of things did you make on your own?
1: Oh, jeez! As a group, I remember we did, lot, we did a lot of meat one week because we bought a bunch of meat to cook as a team. Um... We just kind of did a lot of just giant mashups of random stuff as a group, and then that's kind of what I did as an individual. Then too is just gi- pretty much just throw, pretty much just throw everything into a Dutch oven, and just I mean you can throw anything into a Dutch oven and it'll just come out perfect.
0: <clears throat> uh, we recently were out on Grand Lake Seboyas and we did a solo. How was your time alone?
1: Uh, My time alone was very nice. I I mean, I didn't have anyone to talk to for a few days except myself, so I learned a lot about myself, mainly that I'm very disturbed. Um, I I had plenty of time, I mean, I I learned why the instructors are the way they are. (laughs) I mean, when you're out by yourself like that, there's not a lot to do except kind of talk to yourself and Uh, because i mean there's only so long that you can do tasks like get firewood or cook food and once they're done you've got to fill the time in between so did a lot of working on just like so you just you just talk to yourself and then you just make up random voices the instructors here call them having different characters that you play as so i got a lot i got a lot of experience working on my main accent
0: oh can you uh demonstrate that
1: Oh, Christ. Well, you know, I mean, that main accent, you know, it's something you just got to work on, you know? And, I mean, it it doesn't just come on command, you know? You got to work on it. You got to think about it. You just got to... Got to ramble on and on and on. You just got to talk like your job at the mill just closed. And you, you got nothing left because it's the only life you ever known, you know? I mean, and now what are you going to do with the rest of your life? I mean, all you've done, all your life is just chop down trees and cut trees apart and just work with trees. And now you can't work with trees no more. I mean, what's a guy going to do?
0: That's pretty great. Um, we went to the lumber museum in ashland what did you learn there or what were your takeaways from the mill industry i
1: i learned that those old lumber people were both hard as nails and completely insane um they i have no idea how any of them managed to survive their experiences i i would have likely died if i was involved in the main lumber industry um, but yeah, I mean, some of those things, they just seem like they were just inventing new creative ways to kill themselves.
0: Can you give an example?
1: <clears throat> well, there was the, uh, they had this steam engine thing to, designed to pull all the lumber, and and the thing is, it had no brakes on it, so it's just gonna cook through the woods at about 20 or 30 miles an hour, and you're not gonna have any way to stop it. <laughs> so according to Tim... Plenty of people died when they just ran into trees, and then about 20 tons of lumber behind them just came up and...
0: What has been your experience with Mainers, with people in town, with people at the grocery store?
1: They are really, really friendly, and I'm not fully sure how to react to that, (laughs) but (laughs) they are all just... They're all so friendly. I remember I was getting all this, I remember when I was at the grocery store, I was just standing in line buying food for our trip to Grand Lake Sebois, Sebois or however you pronounce it, and the, somebody, the lady asked me if that's what I was doing, and I said, yeah, and then suddenly everyone in line just started giving me suggestions for what to do. A lot of them suggested using gasoline for fires, which, great suggestion, but yeah... <laughs> So that they it was ve- they're very nice. I don't mean to insult anyone with my Maine accent. <laughs>
0: um, we've been introduced to some Maine food like ice cream and whoopie pies. Uh, what's been your experience with that?
1: Oh my God, the people in Maine—they know how to make portions. I mean, <laughs> we went to this restaurant called Grammys. And I wound up getting a whoopie pie that was slightly larger than my head is. I ate the whole thing in one day, and then I was just kind of bouncing off the walls for the rest of that day. But I have no regrets about that. (laughs) I mean, Grammys, if they just built a Grammys in, like, Africa or somewhere, there's the hunger problem just solved.
0: How are you getting back to Cleveland after bushcraft school is over?
1: Well, you know, I mean, now, now that we've learned all these skills, I figure I'll just, like, I'll just imitate a goose call to just bring down a flock of geese. I'll just, like, tie them all up, and I'll just ride the geese. <laughs> Superman style. No, my, my dad is driving up to take me home. And I'm gonna get to spend a night in a hotel, and I'm gonna get to take a real shower for the first time in nine weeks.
0: Ooh. We are all so dirty here.
1: It is true. We are all dirty in more ways than one. (laughs)
0: Um, What are your future plans? You said you want to hike the AT in the spring, and then what happens after that?
1: So in the winter, I'm going to be working at this factory. One of the adults in my troop owns this rubber factory, so I'm going to be working there in the winter to save up some money. In the spring, I'm hiking 600 miles along the Appalachian Trail, starting from the south, if anyone's curious. Um, And then in the summer, I'm gonna gonna go make another mistake with my life and go work for the Boy Scouts again as a camp counselor. (laughs) Because, you know, I never learn from my mistakes, apparently. And then in the fall, I'm going to the University of Toledo to study mechanical engineering.
0: Nice. What are your long-term aspirations with your education and with your uh, career?
1: I really don't know that I've got any long-term goals at this point. I mean, one of the biggest reasons I'm going into mechanical engineering is because everyone has told me that it's a great major to start with if you don't quite know what you want to do, because they say that it's the chameleon major and that it's got so many cl- so many things involved that you can just easily transfer to something else. Um, also I've, I've been greatly changed by my time out here. Now I'm starting to try and make up more, think of more stuff with sustainability and whatnot in mind.
0: Are you a big math and science person? Did you like those classes in high school?
1: I hated taking those classes. I loved the stuff we did with them. Actually, the reason I'm kind of going into engineering is because I've always hated math and science. Well, I like science. I hate math. I actually liked calculus, interestingly enough, but most other math was boring. Then <clears throat> my school offers this class freshman year design, where basically they would just give us a project and they would just say, finish this pro and it would just be a project like I don't know, I can't remember. Like design a like design some like design a lunar colony and do it within four weeks. And then that's it. There was just no homework, no, checkpoints no nothing it's just finish it by the end date and I loved it and it was and it was just amazing so my senior year I took engineering which was very similar And so I decided okay yeah that's what I'm going into
0: that sounds like a really cool class can you describe your time at shaker high and what kinds of things you did what was your experience like
1: there's this there's this inner voice in my head right now that's screaming. Tell the truth. Tell them how much you hate it. <laughs> Warn them away. <laughs> and then I'm trying I'm trying so hard to fight down that voice and repress it.
0: <laughs> it was great. Yeah, I loved it every second. <laughs> what was your time like in marching band? I was in marching band when I was in high school too. Oh
1: yeah, our school has our school was definitely a big arts school, and so there was a requirement that you had to either. <clears throat> take an art class or join the mar- or join the band. And if you joined the band, then you were in the marching band. And I think I don't know if other band directors are this way, but I distinctly just remember that with our band directors, pretty much every week they would just yell at us about how terrible we were doing, how we were never gonna be ready, you know, we were gonna shit. We we're gonna shame our families. We were gonna have to like go around with bags over our heads. <laughs> so bad. And then we'd do the show and they're all like And the band directors all go, that was great, guys. We knew you could do it all along. And the next week, practice starts, and they go right back to how bad we are.
0: What instrument did you play?
1: I played the trumpet, which was, that was fun, definitely. We were supposed to be the loudest section, but the fact is that there were only about 20 of us that ever actually played, so we were actually really quiet.
0: What other activities did you do in high school?
1: Um, I wasn't, I don't think I was really that outgoing in high school because I didn't like school at all, but, uh, I did, I joined the cross-country team. I joined the track team a little bit, but I didn't really like the track team because there was, it was so big that there was no real sense of community, whereas the cross-country team, everyone knew everyone else, and we were all just kind of best buds. Um, I, of course, I was in Boy Scouts during that time, and other than that, I just... I just kind of did whatever I wanted to do. I didn't worry too much about trying to... I wasn't really thinking too hard of trying to get into college or anything.
0: You're in a point of great transition, like moving out of your parents' house, going to college. Where do you see yourself in 10 years?
1: Um, mm -mm. well... Hopefully, I'll have some form of living situation, and I won't be living under a bridge with my bushcraft skills.
0: We call that home-free, not homeless.
1: <laughs> yeah, I hope that I won't have to apply any of my hobo <laughs> home-free skills, <laughs> but I would like to have a house, <clears throat> um, and honestly, like, um, I'd like to be working in some kind of engineering, and I kind of want to get some kind of a job that will allow me to do new things all the time. I don't really want to get <laughs> stuck working on just one thing for the rest of my life. I want to get the chance to try and work on multiple projects. I was actually, when I was a little kid, my favorite show was this show called Phineas and Ferb. And I think that was definitely a big influence when I decided to take that design class because I just, in the show, they do a new thing every day. So I just thought, I want to do that kind of thing. I want to just try and build something new every day.
0: How has Bushcraft School impacted your ideas about the future?
1: Uh, Well, before, I was all bright-eyed and bushy-tailed, and I thought, yay, like, humanity, we're so great, and now I'm just kind of like, hunched over like we're all gonna die the world is screwed
0: why do you say that
1: <laughs> just I mean, they've been telling uh, they've just been pointing out all the flaws in the system everything that's wrong with it and it's disturbing how many flaws there really are so now but i hope going into engineering you know i hope maybe i'll be able to try and fix some of those flaws
0: Can you talk about, one of the big cycles we talk about is human waste. Can you talk about our human waste composting toilets?
1: Uh, so, (laughs) well, yeah, so we've been, is profanity allowed? Sure. We've been shitting in a bucket for the last nine weeks, and it actually has not been as bad as it sounds. (laughs) You basically just shit in the bucket. (laughs) Then you throw some sawdust over that, and you just dump it into a pile of hay. And you throw some hay over the top of that. And it's actually, it's worked not too bad. I mean, it's definitely not pleasant to dump out the shit bucket. But it's, I mean, it works. We, we've managed, I mean, it works. We're making all this compost. I could imagine this kind of thing working on a mass scale. I mean, in fact, it would probably be easier on a mass scale because there's less work for every individual person to do. I mean, if you just get, you know, what if just it could create jobs, you know, I mean, just the the professional shit bucket emptier, you know, there's an employment (laughs) opportunity for you right there. Everyone's going to want that job.
0: (laughs) But we're growing squash out of the compost, which is so much better than sending our wastewater to a treatment plant that just ends up with all this trash, basically
1: yeah that's definitely true i think i think it's something where in the future we're gonna have to make some kind of change to this kind of system because it's just more sustainable in the long run
0: is there anything else you want to talk about or add
1: i'm really happy to be going home (laughs) but uh, i'm also gonna miss this place but yeah looking forward to we're gonna have a big old group dinner tonight and then we're all going to just sleep in the heated library and guide shack. So for once, I'm not going to be cold. That'll be a good thing. And yeah, Sam Yusko signing off.
0: Thanks, Sam. I'm Regina Beach. You've been listening to Saturn Returns. If you like what you hear, you can subscribe on iTunes or check us out online at facebook.com slash Returns podcast. See you next time.